When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Italian American Podcast, the first podcast dedicated to helping Italian Americans learn about their heritage. We talk to experts, authors, and everyday Italian Americans on all things Italian from traditions, culture, food, genealogy, travel, and more. I'm your host, Anthony Fasano, and I have with me my co-host, Dolores Alfieri. And in today's episode, we chat with Mallory Vaudois, Italian folk magic blogger who we'll introduce momentarily. And we also have a story segment at the end of the episode from one of our listeners who heard our episode about going back to your ancestral villages and shares his own story. Ciao, Dolores. How are you doing today? Hi, Anthony. I'm doing very well. I'm going to try and be reserved and not say too much about how excited I am about this show because I talk about it when I speak to Mallory, but I'm so thrilled to have kind of stumbled across her and her work. As I say to her, I feel like I've been looking for her for a very long time. So this is really exciting. And also just to tell our listeners, there was so much to cover that one show is just not enough. So you'll definitely be hearing Mallory again in the future. Awesome. I'm looking forward to this episode as well. But before we jump in here and and start to get going, we do just want to say thank you to our listeners that decided to join on to our new online community, The New Neighborhood, A Place for Italian Americans. This is something that we created a few months back. We've had a really good response. And last week we had a bunch of new members and we're just having great discussions in there. People are sharing recipes, sharing ideas. Last week we had a nice string going back and forth about different tools for learning Italian and a free podcast or a website and people just sharing stuff back and forth, which is really what we wanted to create. Right, Dolores? Yeah. And, you know, our book club where we're reading right now, our first book, Carlo Levy's Christ Stopped at Eboli. So we've been talking about that book and how it's teaching so many of us about where our ancestors came from. And, you know, of course, what Southern Italy was like back in the day and many of the struggles they faced, et cetera. Anthony, I have to be honest. I mean, it's turned out to be so much more fun than I even imagined it was going to be. <laughs> you know, I had high hopes for this new project, but it's just become so great. And everybody in the neighborhood is just so warm and friendly and excited to be there. And there's this really vibrant feeling of mutual support. Everybody really wants to inspire each other. And I feel, I'll speak for myself, but I bet you feel similarly that we're always talking into these mics, right? And talking to people. So it's really nice to get to know some of the people who are on the other end listening. Yeah, absolutely. And we have Italian Americans from all over, all the way to Hawaii that are in the group engaged, sharing ideas and and pictures and photos of when they do things. And it's just, it's been really, really great. And everyone is so warm when someone joins they just welcome them in like it's their own family and if you're if you're interested in checking out the community just go to 
italiannaborhood.com and you'll see a little video from Dolores and I that we put together explaining the community and options for you to join in and join us. And not only will you be getting access to a real tight knit group of Italian Americans, but you'll also be supporting the podcast and our content. So it's going to be really a win for everyone. So with that, before we introduce our guest and get into the episode, we'd like to offer a brief word from our sponsor, the National Italian American Foundation. I'm John Viola, president of the National Italian American Foundation, proud supporters of the Italian American podcast. At NIAF, we know there's nothing more important than family, and we invite you to be a part of ours. We work hard to protect our great heritage, to promote the Italian language, to build stronger ties between Italy and the United States, and to serve as your voice in our nation's capital. Most importantly, with over a million dollars a year in scholarships and grants, we provide young Italian-Americans help in earning a solid education and becoming future leaders for our community. To find out more about how your support serves the community, visit us online at www.niaf.org and become a part of the NIAF family. So, Anthony, before we get into the interview, I just want to say that I've been watching some great Italian shows on Verizon Fios. I know you're always mentioning them to me. It's funny, you know, because when I was a little girl, my father always watched Italian television. It was on nonstop. And he used to yell at me to watch with him. You know, he'd be like, sit here, learn Italian, learn Italian. And now that I'm older, I do watch it all the time. And it really does help me to improve my Italian. I agree. It totally does. And of course, today you've got Mediaset Italia. That's right. All the best programming from Italy's top channels are put together in one channel. So there's cooking shows, drama series, movies, and it really helps you to stay connected to Italian culture in real time because they're the same shows that Italians are watching. Right now, I'm caught in this drama. It's a long serial with a couple seasons called Solo per Amore. Destini Incrociati, or For Love Alone, Cross Destinies. So if you can get into one of those shows and just watch episode after episode, it's like getting hooked onto any show you might watch, like on Netflix. You get caught up in it and you get immersed in the culture and you really get to practice learning Italian. Absolutely. I know this firsthand for myself. I mean, when you're watching these shows and you're listening to the pace of the language, it's extremely helpful to learning Italian. And right now, our listeners can get 50% off their Italian language package for six months, which features Mediaset Italia and Rai Italia. And if you're a new customer for $79.99 per month for your first year with a two-year contract, you can get 150 megabyte speed internet, custom TV, and phone. That's right. So if you're interested, you can call Verizon Fios at 1-888-755-751 to subscribe. And of course, we'll link to that number in our show notes as well. All right. Now I'd like to introduce our guests for today's episode, Mallory Vaudois. Mallory is the author of the blog ItalianFolkMagic.com, a Brooklyn-based spiritualist of Italian descent with her mother's family hailing from Campania and her father's family from Abruzzo. She studies Southern Italian music and dance with world-renowned folk artist Alessandra Belloni. She believes that music, food, wine, and kissing are vital tools of spiritual evolution. And I like Amen. her already. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. All right, Dolores, give us a quote to take us into this one. All right. This quote is from Harry Houdini. I am a great admirer of mystery and magic. Look at this life, all mystery and magic. 
Okay, now I have with me Mallory Vaudois, author of ItalianFolkMagic.com. Mallory, welcome to the Italian American Podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Dolores. My pleasure. You know, I, as I said to you when I originally reached out to you, I found you so randomly, or perhaps, you know, not randomly, <laughs> on Instagram. I had two thoughts right away when I saw you had given a lecture. All I remember in the title was the word bone. What was the lecture? Do you remember? Yeah, the lecture was called Lady Parts, Milk, Blood, and Bone in Neapolitan Folk Magic. That's right. Okay. So I saw that. Somebody must have been advertising it for you. And I'm like, what is this? You know? So then I just started like going down the path and I found your blog and I, I looked at everything that you've been doing and I had two thoughts. So I was like, I've been looking for you for a long time <laughs> and we are going to be friends. So I'm going to ask you because it's, it's just so interesting and it's, it's so, such a big topic for me. And we've talked about it on the show. I'm going to ask you to tell our listeners what you actually do in your own words, if you don't mind. I really consider myself to be a writer and a spiritualist who works very intimately with themes of immigration, of anamnesis or cultural unforgetting, and with what we refer to as manifestations of the spiritual or Italian and Italian-American spirituality. So everything that I do is grounded in the research that I've done into both Italian and Italian-American expressions of spirituality, and that can include everything from ritual to art to dance. And really, for me, what this is about is a kind of reconnection with my roots and my heritage, with my ancestors. It's amazing. This is something that... I have really been interested in for, for so long. I personally have talked on the show so often about how, for me personally, Catholicism, but, but a, a very specific Southern Italian brand of Catholicism and something that is, was taught to me, I feel very much through the women who raised me is a way for me to connect back to my heritage as well. The one thing uh, I kind of have always been looking for is what you have, which is this incredible research. Where do you find all this information? I mean, I've signed up for your newsletter, which I'm going to encourage all our listeners to do. And, and recently you sent out something about Neapolitan prayers for children. It's so cool. Where are you finding this information? So I have been building up my research library over the course of several years. I'm a big fan of the work of Robert Orsi, who you had on the show, yes, actually, a couple months him. back. Uh-huh. He's amazing. And Michael Carroll as well, who is another academic, another historian of Italian religion. And he has several books, which I highly recommend. One is called Madonna's That Mame, which is an exploration of what you aptly described as a particular Southern Italian flavor of Catholicism, which is full of things that you might not necessarily expect if you grow up in an American Catholic church, right? So there's much more eroticism, much more emphasis on the body and on magic and on contact with spiritual entities who are not always really looking to help you. <laughs> so the book is called Madonna's That Mate, right? It does have a little bit of a danger to it, which I think reflects both the cultural aspect of it and also the environmental aspect of it. Because 
Southern Italy is a land of earthquake, volcanoes, plagues, imminent death, essentially, which is kind of like constantly on the horizon. I do have a pretty big research library at this point. I've also just been building up what we might think of as gray literature, right? So little pamphlets that might not even have an ISB number, which is used to track them, but which are disseminated in Italian churches or Italian-American churches. And that's where I get a lot of the prayers that I translate for the blog from. It's just these little books where, you know, somebody's grandmother might've had it and you might be able to find one in the back of a church. Sometimes they're free. Sometimes they're there just for a donation. And what I love about these types of prayers is they reflect a very regional point of view, a regional aesthetic, and they don't have all the sort of churchy boilerplate that we might associate with indulgenced prayers in books like the Recolta, which is also an amazing book, or the Enchiridion. So they often have trippy imagery, actually. There's one that I posted for St. Anthony, which makes reference to the golden knobs that he wears on his chest and comparing him to the sun. And they may have a little bit more of a an edge to them when they're addressing the saint. So there's one that I included in the talk that I gave that you found me through. It addresses San Gennaro, who is the patron saint of Naples, as Wapon, which is a rank within the mafia, basically. It's sort mm. of like saying, the local guy with connections who intercedes with the real capo, the real big boss. Yeah. Who squad. <laughs> there can be this kind of like cheekiness almost with them, or, uh, you know, sometimes they get a little sassy with the saints sometimes. And I'm also very blessed to be working with a Neapolitan teacher. Her name is Anna Emilio, and maybe we can link to her in the show notes. Definitely. For any of your listeners who are interested in learning the Neapolitan language, she's an incredible, incredible resource. And she's from Naples. She teaches online, so you can, you know, schedule things with her and just do them through your computer. And she can do kind of normal Neapolitan lessons where you learn things like how to conjugate verbs and what the adjectives are, you know, how to say the different colors in Neapolitan. Or you can do what I've done with her, which is take a bunch of source material, including these prayers and novenas and also song lyrics from traditional regional folk songs. And then go through them with her learning how to translate them. So it's a bit of an interesting approach to learning a language. But what it means is I've been able to not just kind of learn how to string a sentence together, but also to get a little bit more of a feel for the culture, a little bit more of a feel for the folklore. Yeah, because especially with Napolitan, I mean, that dialect is so connected to the culture. It's if you know the dialect and you know the people, you kind of can't separate the two. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the music as well. Ah, yes, the music as well. And you you actually, we should say, do a lot with dancing and music. I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about that as well as we go here. But, you know, I just realized that usually we start our show, I'm like so dorky, geeky, excited to talk to you right now. And there's like so, I have so much I want to ask you. I I almost don't even know where to start. But we usually start the show by asking people to talk about their Italian-American upbringing. And I skipped right over that and just (laughs) (laughs) dove dove right in. So before we keep going, I kind of want to pause, let our listeners know that you are indeed an Italian-American. And do you mind just telling us a little bit about your Italian-American heritage, you know, your upbringing, where you come from? Let's rewind a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, wonderful. I got so excited. 
So I live in New York right now. I live in Brooklyn, but I grew up in Massachusetts and I grew up with the Italian American heritage on both sides of the family. So my father's people are from Abruzzo and my mother's people are from Campania. So outside of Naples, actually in Avellino near where the temple to Monte Vergine is. Oh, that's where my family's from. Oh, no way. Yes. My mother and father got married in Italy. And after they got married, my mother brought her wedding dress to Montevergine and put it on the steps as offering for a blessed oh marriage. God. We are oh, from that's this. So beautiful. <laughs> that's amazing. What villages in particular do you... So from a village called Frigento okay. and a village called Montemileto. I'll have to ask my mother about that because they're not from those towns, but that would have been absolutely amazing. But we're really very close. I mean, <laughs> it's a pilgrimage that we always make every time we go visit. And all the stories my mom tells of being younger, like that's where they would go. If they had like a free Sunday when they were teenagers, they would make a picnic and they would go there and spend the day. Oh, I'm getting chills. This is amazing. <laughs> it is. You know what? I am too, actually. <laughs> That's great. Wow. Okay. That's great. So continues. You grew up in uh, Massachusetts. Yeah. Yeah. I grew up in Massachusetts. I had Italian American influences on both sides, but at the same time, our family was really, I like to say haunted by Italy. And so there was a lot of hardship that my grandparents and their parents went through both in the old country and also when they immigrated to the U.S. Consequently, I did not grow up speaking Neapolitan. I did not grow up speaking Italian. And we had a, a kind of cultural distance from where we came from. And on the one hand, it was something that we would it would come up a lot. We'd talk about it, but we didn't really know how to talk about it, how to process it. My maternal grandfather, he actually ended up building what I now realize was a sort of recreation of the structure of Italian village life for his children. So he was the building inspector in the town that I grew up in. And he built a little extension off of one of the main roads and built houses for each one of his children there. And then also built this little center area where there was a bocce court and a pool and, you know, a nice little covered setup for where we would have cookouts when I was growing up. And so family life was really at the center of my social life, of my world when I was growing up. But at the same time, nobody had explained to me well, you know, back in Italy, the towns are all structured this way, where you have a piazza, which is the center of social life, and everybody lives around the piazza, and everybody travels there, and that's where people talk and eat and play cards and where deals are struck and gossip is spread. Nobody told me why this was happening and why other families who maybe didn't have this heritage weren't building family structures in this way. So I really consider those cultural influences to have been latent in my upbringing. On the one hand, present throughout that period in my life, but on the other hand, it wasn't something that I was consciously aware of or which was ever explained to me. And it was only when I moved to New York as a young woman, having recently graduated from college, that I started to reconnect with the Italian Americans here. And it was in learning about the feast days that are celebrated in this city and going to the Italian national parishes and starting to do more of that kind of research that things started to click for me. I started to understand some of the 
implicit rituals that I had grown up with that nobody had ever commented on and nobody thought of as being related to our ancestry, but which were nevertheless reflecting a kind of unique Southern Italian style. Did you consider yourself spiritual or religious before you came to New York? I mean, were you always in some way connected to this element? Yeah, I I really have always been connected to it. Even as a very small child, I had this impulse, which was to be looking for things which were hidden. And so part of that came out and was expressed as an interest in like ghosts and fairy tales and the spirit world that way. And part of it was I was also very interested in cryptography. And I actually in college studied computer science and went on to train as a software engineer. And I still work in that industry today. But it's funny because I think people who know me from the tech industry make assumptions about what my spiritual life must be like. Right. And people who know me from spiritual circles might make assumptions about what type of job I have. Exactly. Yeah. But these two things, the kind of right brain and left brain coexist very happily in my life. I love people like you. And it's funny as I'll say, you know, growing up, there's definitely a phase I went through in life where I couldn't reconcile being this kind of creative person who was interested in, as you actually just said very eloquently, you know, things that are unseen and kind of this element of life that is not visible in the everyday. And also this very kind of organized business minded type person. You know, I, I went through this period where I was like, I have to be one or the other. You know, you're either like this reckless, crazy, creative Jack Kerouac type, <laughs> you right? Or you're like working for JP Morgan and there's like no middle exactly. ground, you know, so you have to really get to a, a place in life where you're bold enough to say, you know, I, I am what I am. If it confuses you, that's not really my problem. Exactly. <laughs> In this Italian community that you grew up with and your family, did you grow up with rituals? Were you taught about the saints and and the prayers? Or did you really just come to figure that out on your own? Well, it's interesting because there's a lot of parallels in my mother's family and my father's family. Even before they met each other, there were these weird parallels in their biographies and in their family structures. And one of those things is that both sides of my family split with the Catholic Church. Mm. In the case of my father's family, his grandfather, so my great-grandfather, immigrated with his family, and including his son, my grandfather, in part because he was looking for a, a country where he could practice a religion which sort of seduced him away from Catholicism, which was, I'm not sure how to explain it exactly, but a form of charismatic Christianity, which he eventually ended up in the Pentecostal church. But he was very taken with the idea of going to church and speaking in tongues and handling snakes. And it's funny because I really actually associate that with Southern Italian Catholicism as well. But apparently he wasn't finding that in the village that he was living in. So he came to the U.S. and converted and the family eventually converted as well. And they've been in the Pentecostal church now, parts of my family, for quite some time. On my mother's side, it's a little bit less clear how and when this happened. Coming from Boston, what kind of traumas may have preceded it? Like I'm sure many of your listeners, there are some things that my family doesn't really talk about. Yeah. There are some things where, you know, I just kind of respect the silence. So now in your life, the role this kind of spirituality plays, is it something that you share with your family or do you see it as kind of independent to you? It's funny because I 
don't talk to my family too much about religion, but I try to be a resource that's available to them. A lot of the work that I do in my personal spiritual life, you know, I, I pray every day. I make offerings every day. And a lot of that work is done on their behalf. Even if I'm not talking to my mother about, well, you know, I had a dream the other night and grandma showed up, my, my grandmother passed away a couple of years ago and she told me this, that, and the other thing. And then, you know, I made an offering to St. Anthony. Even if I'm not giving her that level of detail, I still am doing those things for her, for her health and her happiness and her prosperity and, and for the rest of my family as well. And I think that that is one of the hallmarks of an authentic spiritual path is even if you're not sharing it consciously with members of your family, they will nevertheless be enjoying the benefits of it, the merits of it. And I've seen healing that has happened within my family since I've become more serious about pursuing this type of a spiritual life where issues that I've seen with mental illness, depression, and issues with controlled substances have been better both for me and for them. That's really beautiful. How do you feel when you started really getting into all of this? How did it help you reconnect to your Italian heritage or at least deepen your connection? Maybe not reconnect, but deepen your connection. Well, I think the two go hand in hand. So I remember one of the first feast days that I went to in New York was the Feast of St. Anthony several years ago. You may be aware there's a Shrine Church to St. Anthony in Soho, and they do a celebration of his feast every day on June 13th. There's a mass followed by a procession, and often there's an opportunity to venerate his relics. And it's a very deeply moving experience. And in particular for me, one of the reasons why I wanted to go to it initially was my maternal grandfather's name is Anthony. Mm. In part inspired by my experience there, I, I reached out to some members on my family tree that I'd never really talked to before because, you know, I'm, I'm Italian. So my family's big enough that there's branches where it's right. like, oh, well, you know, they live, they live way out and we just don't <laughs> see them. And uh, yeah, <laughs> well, you know, we'll see each other maybe once a year if that So I reached out to them because I knew that they had been very connected to my great-grandparents, having lived with them for longer than, for example, my mother ever did. I talked to them, and the question of their spiritual lives came up. And one of the things that they mentioned to me was that they had two, essentially, patrons. They didn't use that language, but that's the language that I'm comfortable with. One was the infant of Prague, and the other was St. Anthony. I found out that that's actually why my grandfather was named what he was named was in homage to this saint who I had kind of naturally been caught up in the veneration of. So it's kind of this like virtuous cycle where, you know, you become involved in some of the rituals and then you start to do a little bit more research and the research helps you contextualize the rituals and the rituals help you contextualize information about your family. That's why I think that this topic of Italian-American folk magic or Italian folk magic or, or folk religion is something that anybody of Italian descent can benefit from because it helps you to connect the dots in the way that just having information won't. It helps you to 
really paint a picture or go from having just dots to having the full picture or just having information to having an actual narrative. What I find really inspiring about the work is the way in which it teaches you that in reality, there's nothing that's ever lost. I think this is a problematic narrative that a lot of Italian Americans are grappling with right now is every day there's another article in the New York Times about how the last deli serving the last salami that was really <laughs> made the right way has just closed. You know, oh, yes. all these gentrification and changing economic situations are causing all of these things to close and churches are closing. And, and it's this narrative of like, you know, your people are dying, right. your culture is gone, your language is extinct it's over. Yeah. The end. Yeah. We have to move away from this linear idea of time. And because with the idea of time being linear, there's a judgment that comes with that, right? Things are either getting better or they're getting worse. In reality, I like to think of it more as we're on the beach and the tide comes in, the tide goes out. And as the tide's going out, it washes up things from the bottom of the ocean. It's always the same ocean. It's always the same things, but they come out in different ways. And sometimes, you know, we see this and that, and other times they get taken back into the ocean, and then they might come back another time. So these treasures that are coming out of this ocean, which is really our kind of collective unconscious, if, if you want to get a little union about it, they're always there. They might not always be visible. Through the work that I try to teach people through the blog and through my lectures and my writing, we can start to really catalyze that process. And part of that is through dream work. This is something that is, I think, really important is to start kind of keeping track of our dreams because they will teach us stuff that the books won't. When we start to regard them with respect and as a source of wisdom, as opposed to just a bunch of random noise that happens every night when we're asleep, that's when we can start to not just understand things consciously, but to incorporate it into our bodies and into our, our being on a very deep level. I completely agree with that. And we've actually aired um, a segment before on the show where I sat with um, my mother and a few of my aunts and their mother, who is turning 90 in September. And she spoke, you know, the dialect, the entire segment. They talked about this very topic, dreams, you know, and especially with women. I think one big connection for me to the heritage and to the women in my life has always been dreams. Actually, I was just driving to my brother's yesterday with my mother and I was talking to her about something and I brought up my aunt who passed away a couple years ago. I said, I keep thinking about her. I keep thinking about her because there's something going on in my life that I know would resonate with her. So I feel her very strongly right now. And my mom said, Oh, you just reminded me I had a dream last night. I need to call Adi in Italy. I got, I got to call her. I, had, I dreamt X, Y, and Z. And then I said to her mom, that's not good. You know, like a, to get into the dream itself. I said, you know, there's three women in the dream. It's not good. I'm lucky enough that I still get to do that in my life. For me, I just feel like dreams are absolutely a way for us to do several things. One is, like you said, have guidance in our lives, period. But it also, as Italian Americans, connects us to our heritage and to a long history of this. Yes. It's a really big deal in Southern Italy. Dreams, I'm getting chills right now just talking, like my hair is standing up on my arms. It's a long history in Naples, you know, with La Smorfia and playing the numbers. Yeah. Right? But women have always, women and men, but for me, it's always been the women in, in my life. It's, it's a tool that's been used. 
Absolutely. And I remember that segment. It was really, really powerful to hear all these women in your family talking and going back and forth between, you know, speaking in dialect and speaking English. And it's a gorgeous segment. um, So thank you for taking the time and and to your family also for taking the time to record that. Sweet. (laughs) But I think that it's interesting to look at the differences that exist between Italian-American spiritual life and Southern Italian spiritual life, where here in the U.S., we do have still public displays of piety and reverence, which often have to do with, okay, well, we're going to have a a mass and then a procession and then maybe a street fair. And what I think we are missing out on sometimes is the dreaming aspect of it. Also, the aspect of it, which has to do with dances such as the Tamuriata and the Pizzicatarantata, they're associated with the religious rituals in southern Italy. So the Tamuriata is performed in honor of the Madonna, and yet it is an extraordinarily sensual dance. It is a dance of courtship and a dance which has very raunchy lyrics. Mm. Which is also happens a lot. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're singing about very blatantly singing about intercourse right in front of the priest. He doesn't mind. You've been doing it for <laughs> you've been doing it for thousands of years. He hasn't been around that long, you know. <laughs> and so I, I'm very interested in seeing how we can conscientiously and, and organically reincorporate some of these themes into the Italian American devotional practice. Absolutely. Let me ask you a question. I'd love to hear your thoughts about. Do you feel like paying attention to our dreams and being connected to this can actually connect us through time (laughs) and through death to the people that are no longer with us? Oh, yes, absolutely. And that's one of the strongest element of dream lore is often about being able to meet up with people who have passed and and to receive information from them or requests from them. Michael Carroll talks about this a lot in his books. Almost every feast that I know of in Italy is actually founded when somebody has a dream and the Madonna comes to them and says, well, you're going to build a church here and you're going to start celebrating my annual feast in that church. Likewise, on a more interpersonal level, there are a lot of stories of people who are contacted by a dead relative to either warn them of some impending danger or to give them comfort or to request that they do some kind of work to help ease their transition into the afterlife, maybe having a mass said for them or or saying a prayer for them. And so I think that this is a a two-way street, really, where on the one hand, we can receive help from them, but on the other hand, we have this opportunity to help them on the other side and and to continue to include them in, in our prayers and in the work that we do in order to heal the family as a whole. Absolutely. You know, my, my father passed away. It's going to be almost 10 years now. And I have to say how much the dreams helped us, me and my mother, deal with that loss. There was a period where it was just like we just dreamt about him constantly. And I remember him giving me so many lessons through the dreams that I listened to. I mean, I remember there was just a period where I was so in grief. And I remember dreaming about him again and again, and he would look at me, but he wouldn't speak to me. I remember finally I had a dream where he was kind of looking at me and I was pleading with him to come back you know, please come back, please come back. You know, we, we, we need to try and save you. And he looked at me and he was just, he was like angry. 
And he turned around. He turned his back on me for like the first time in all of these dreams I'd been having. And he walked away and I woke up and I knew what he was saying to me. He was like, you have to stop, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you have to go on with your life. I'm gone and you have to leave me alone in this way. Like, I need you to go on living now. That might sound crazy to somebody who's not you, right? (laughs) Not me. It changed me. It's not like I woke up and I was fine. Okay, great. No big deal. My, My dad's dead. It wasn't like that. But it started me on the path where I knew my grieving process had to kind of morph into the next phase. Even for the most ardent atheist or or materialist, one of the benefits of dream work is that you can look at it as it is an entirely psychological process. And you can interpret that in terms of, well, grief is a psychological process and the dreams help you to parse through it. And clearly the result for you is becoming dedicated once again to living your life Mm. and letting this grief run through its natural course so that you can be the healthy, happy person that you are today. Everybody should really be looking at these things. And even if you don't feel comfortable really believing, well, it was the spirit of X, Y, or Z person or, or saint or Madonna who came to me, you can still look at it as it's a natural thing that our, we evolved to be able to do this, to have this type of a body and type of psychology. Right. If you need to be intellectual about it, let's say, you know, for your comfort, you can, you can right. look at it that way, which actually dovetails into something that I, I think is a very big issue, which is, and Robert Orsi, of course, talks about this, um, especially in his latest book, History and Presence. For us here as Italian-Americans, there's this whole process of assimilation that's happened over the generations. And I do feel like the work you're doing, and even this aspect of my practice in my life, I'm uh, a lot younger than my siblings. And I almost feel like for them, they've kind of shunned this aspect too, in a way, because here there, you know, in America, you, you want to be quote, like civilized. And I feel like part of assimilation for us has been losing elements of this that sound perhaps to the wider population, like superstition, superstition, having a negative connotation, uncivilized is the word that keeps coming up and um, dramatic, dark, elementary, you know, things that if you want to be a sophisticated modern American, you kind of need to lose. Right, right. I think it's very important for us to kind of get past that. It's something our generation, I think, has the luxury to do. Yeah, I think that that's a really good point that we are in a a relative position of, I guess, kind of strength and and privilege as opposed to the Italian-American generations that came before us who were under a lot more pressure to assimilate. Exactly. And where the consequences of not assimilating were much more severe. I grew up and I've been lucky. I've never, I've never been told, well, we'd love to hire you, but you've got a vowel at the end of your last name. Right. Nobody's ever shouted the D or the G word at me when I was walking down the street. Mm -hmm. Like I've never experienced prejudice or discrimination the same way that my grandparents did, or even to a certain extent, my father did. So I count myself very lucky, but I think that part of that is I now have this responsibility to maintain and promote this culture. With that strength and with that position of privilege, I think comes the responsibility to do just that. But I also think that there's a potentially a kind of metaphysical angle at this where 
I was talking to a friend of mine recently, and he was saying that his cultural background is he's mixed race. He's part white, part African. And he was talking about how in his family, there's a belief that the grandchildren and grandparents generation will tend to be naturally more close, which is something that I think we probably all observed regardless of our racial backgrounds, like grandchildren and grandparents, they're in it together. They're right. <laughs> And, you know, grandparents love to spoil their grandkids and grandkids love their grandparents sometimes more than their parents. But the explanation that his family gives for this is that people tend to reincarnate down their family lines. And so the grandparents being older than the parents' generation are more likely to remember the person that that child was. Mm, wow. The last time they were alive. And so I think that that may also be an, an element here where we, the younger generation, are coming back and we are bringing with us some knowledge. Wow. <laughs> I have to like take that in. <laughs> that is like really a very powerful notion. I mean, I followed that whole line of thought that you just went with, and that's very intense. And I. I don't know that I would have sat here and verbalized that to you the way you just did. But the minute you finished speaking, I felt like that's in me. Oh, I'm so glad. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know know how else to, I have to like sit with that for a few days, but I, I feel like that's in me. I don't know if it's the grandmother that I'm named after who died before I was born, who I feel, I always feel in me. Or the great, great grandmother that I, I don't even know her name or parts of my father. I don't know, but I understand what you just said mm. viscerally. I felt it. The naming traditions really reflect this idea, don't Absolutely. they? Absolutely. Yep. And I've written about that for our blog, actually, the naming traditions. And then a lot of the comments I actually got from people when I wrote that post, a lot of people talked about how they named their child after someone who had passed away that was even like very remote. Maybe they had not even known them themselves. Does that make sense? So maybe like a great uncle that they'd always heard of talked about in the family, but they didn't know. And then they named their son after him because they just felt like this connection. Yeah. Yeah. The felt connection is very important. Exactly. So, you know, Mallory, there's a lot more that I want to talk to you about, and we're definitely going to have you back on the show. We didn't even get into... Naples and the cult of the dead and more about like Las Morfia. And I really at some point would like to talk to you about the visceral connection that Southern Italians have to their saints. You kind of touched on it a little bit in passing earlier, you know, this idea that it's like you pray to the saint and it's like, help me or else, you know, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I I think that is so interesting. And I've actually, the more I read and study on this topic, I've gotten a lot better at that. You know, like, are you up? (laughs) Are you listening to me? (laughs) Um, And I think that's important because it's, it's, they're not remote, right? The saints in our lives, they're a real visceral part, even if we can't see them. And that's the point. Yeah, absolutely. But that's going to have to be for another time. But I would really love if you could tell our listeners some ways that they can begin to access this part of their heritage and their culture and, and of course, themselves. That's a really good question. So I would say 
one thing, if you can start keeping track of your dreams, that's really important. I recommend keeping a dream journal beside your bed. And then you just got to train yourself when you wake up in the morning to what I like to do is lie still in bed. And usually you can recall the dreams better when you're still lying down, as opposed to if you start getting up and and waking up physically. Try and keep track of them. And if you want to note the day and, you know, if there's any fun astrological stuff happening, you can go ahead and do that. But the more you're paying attention to them, the more you're going to dream. So also don't be frightened if you feel like you're not dreaming a lot right now, because it will start to come when you pay attention to it. So that's one thing. And then in addition to that, I think you may want to start looking at ways to pray for your ancestors. And so I have a blog post about this, which we can link to. But if you want to say the Requiem prayer on their behalf and start just thinking about them regularly every day, a really classic way to honor them is with a glass of water and a candle. If you want to maybe put those near their photographs and say a quick prayer for them, that's a simple gesture, but a very powerful one. And I've had people who have read the blog write into me to say that it, you know, even just doing that once really, it opened some road for them or changed some dynamic in, in their relationship with their living relatives. So I think that that can be really, really powerful. And then if you're interested in learning more about different saints or Madonnas, maybe you know that your family had a particular patron back in Italy. You can always check Wikipedia actually will tell you who the patron of your um, the village that your family came from is if, if your family doesn't remember it anymore. And you can also look at naming conventions. So like the example I gave earlier, my grandfather's name is Anthony. And that's because my great grandparents had a special relationship with St. Anthony, the patron of the village that your family is from or saint's name, which is very popular in your family. Those can point you towards somebody who may be a natural advocate for you spiritually. And I have prayers for lots of different saints and Madonnas on the blog. So um, if you want something that has a little bit more of a local flavor, of course, you can always just pray in English or you can just pray from the heart. But if you want to start delving into the material that way, that's also an option. Terrific. And just to give some examples of of some of the things you just mentioned, um, for instance, in my family, on my father's side, there's a very strong connection to St. Pajapio, who's from that area. And my mother actually says that my grandparents used to go and hear him say mass. Oh, wow. I know. Isn't that incredible? I mean, it's amazing. Blows my mind. She says they used to go and see him say mass with, you know, the stigmata on his hands and they would talk about how his hands were always wrapped. It's crazy Mm -hmm. to me. So there's a very strong connection. So I have, um, I have a cousin whose name is Maria Pia. That's an honor, right? To Pio. And now she has a daughter and she's named her Anna Pia. Oh, wonderful. Right. And if you don't know the connection, you would maybe think, oh, that's like a, just a, literally a family name, but it's a family name for a reason. My father's name was Giovanni and, and same in his village, St. John the Baptist is the patron saint. Right. Whose feast day was very recent. I know. I just saw your post about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm like, there it is. And also to say that, you know, I actually just went to, I consider myself Catholic. I certainly have my Southern Italian, uh, stubborn old way of kind of doing it. <laughs> I always say, you know, I'm probably not the Pope's favorite Catholic, but, uh, I do it 
uh, you know, <laughs> that's how I identify. But I just like a month ago was at the Catholic store and I picked up a bunch of prayer cards that connected me exactly what you just said. I got one for St. John the Baptist. I got one for San Stefano because St. Stephen's my mother's patron saint in her village back in Italy. And she's actually named Stefanina. So there's all these relations. I mean, I, I love that you just said that. I kind of just did it instinctually. So, you know, I want to bring them all into my home. And uh, I have an altar, the kind of old school altar with the that my mother has, too, you know, with the photos of the dead and the palms and all that. So I put my prayer oh, cards. Yeah, the, the palms from Palm Sunday. That's also that's classic. Right. Exactly. But, you know, it made into little crosses. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's just my <laughs> way of staying connected to the people who've passed and honoring them. But also it keeps me connected to the culture. It's a way for me to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this has been great. And we're going to link to everything that we mentioned linking to and going to have you back on the show to talk about so much more. I will be following your blog and your work. And I'm going to look into, I mean, that woman you mentioned, her name will link. Is there a link? She has a site, the Nubbly Dawn woman. Yep. It's amazing. Just as a quick aside, we just aired a show about language, learning the Italian language. And I actually talked briefly on the show about um, dialects. It's like if you're American and you don't speak Italian or your dialect, in this day and age, it's going to be easier for you to learn Italian, proper Italian. But I love that you just mentioned that there's a resource for people to learn the Neapolitan dialect. I find that this is incredible. And I, it's like actually something that I I feel like I sent out there into the world and you just brought to me and to (laughs) our listeners. So thank you for that. What's next for you? What are you working on now that our listeners can look forward to? I'm actually working on a free ebook that I'm going to just publish through the blog, which is going to be kind of a introduction zero to 60 with the topic. So it's geared primarily at people of Italian descent, whether they're living in America or living somewhere else, taking them through what does a Madonna mean to an Italian person? What does a saint mean? And then starting to develop that personal devotional relationship. So a lot of the themes that we just touched on in terms of how to reconnect with your roots through this material are things that I'm going to be examining in a lot more detail in that book. Well, let's definitely have you back on when you release that book and we'll talk about it and and get people to get it into their hands as well. Wonderful. Thank you. Mallory, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. Thank you for having me. This was an absolute delight. It's now time for the Italian-American story segment of the episode. This is the part of the show where we try to bring you back to your family gatherings, conversations, and we try to play a recording or a story from one of our listeners or our own relatives or even read something that a listener submitted. And in today's segment, we do have a recording from one of our listeners, Mark Grandinetti. As I said earlier, Mark heard the episode about going back to your ancestral villages, and he just felt inspired enough to go to our website, ItalianAmericanExperience.com. And on the side, there's a red button that says, Tell Your Story. And he told his story of visiting his ancestral villages and the connection and the feelings. And there's no need for me to explain it. Let's listen to Mark. Hi, Anthony and Dolores. This is Mark Grandinetti from Pittsburgh, PA. Wanted to send a brief message about my trip to Italy back in April. I went with my parents for Easter and we had a great experience. 
making a dream come alive, uh, visiting my grandfather's hometown, the town he was born in, and that he lived in until he was six or seven years old before he came to the United States. A small town in Calabria uh, by the name of Mota Santa Lucia, about 15 minutes off the Altilia exit on the A2. I was able to drive uh, my parents and I around uh, southern Italy, and it was a dream come true uh, visiting this town, uh, a small, small, small town up on a hill that we never thought we would ever see. And after listening to the podcast today, I think I had the same feelings as Anthony did, anxiety, nervousness, disbelief. Uh, all those feelings are definitely were the feelings I had when we visited Mota Santa Lucia, and we were greeted there by another man by the name of Mario Grandinetti. He's kind of like the town historian, wrote a book on all of the uh, immigrants that uh, came to the United States from this town, Mota Santa Lucia, and uh, he's a distant relative of ours. And as soon as we got into the town, we were welcomed by him, and we went into his house and had lunch with him and his wife. Just a surreal, surreal experience, being able to just take part in all of this. Again, something that we never thought was ever possible. We've been communicating with this man for over 10 years, and we finally got to meet him. A lifelong dream, you could say, that happened for me and my father. And we were happened to be there actually on the day of my grandfather's birthday. So being there in his hometown, he's deceased now, but on the day of his birthday, made it even more special. I was able to obtain a copy of his birth certificate, my great-grandparents' birth certificates, and their marriage certificates so that I could apply for citizenship one day. So I hope to do that in the very near future. Right after we left that town, uh, Mota Santa Lucia, we went to meet my mom's third cousins, who she's never met before, in a town 20 minutes away in Calabria, San Mango de Quino. And they welcomed us with open arms. They were so, so hospitable, loving, nice. I think there was a saying that I heard on your podcast. It was, uh, il sangue riconosce il sangue. Blood recognizes blood. And immediately, uh, we knew we were related. And these women and, and men were just uh, there was about five or six of them there. Relatives of ours were incredible, you know, offered uh, food and drink to us. We visited about three or four different homes of our cousins here in this town of San Mango, and they were incredible. After we visited San Mango, we went to the cemetery, and we were able to see all of the, the Mendocino relatives' uh, graves there in the cemetery. We were able to actually see my great-grandfather's home in San Mango, where he lived before he immigrated to the United States here in Beaver Falls, Pennsylvania. Just visiting with these people, they were just so loving and so warm and welcoming to us. It was just unbelievable. So the emotions in one day were were just completely overwhelming to all of us. And uh, it's something that we'll never forget for the rest of our lives. So happy to be able to take part in that with my parents something that I look forward to doing again here in the hopefully near future. I just wanted to share my story with you guys and feel free to use it or get in touch with me. I'd love to talk to you guys more about uh, this would be my third trip to Italy. This is something I love doing. And again, I think I'm going to be going back here pretty often. So thank you guys. Love the podcast and uh, keep up the great work. All right. So I hope that you enjoyed today's episode on Italian folk magic and also Mark's story. And again, I encourage you to go to ItalianAmericanExperience.com and share your stories. But for now, I'm going to kick it over to Dolores to take us out. Okay, Anthony, I just want to remind everyone that if you like the show, please consider leaving a review on iTunes. That's the best way to get this podcast out to other Italian Americans. So the more Paisani who learn about the show, the more Paisani who are inspired to enrich their heritage. You can also find us on social media. We are on Instagram at Italian American. We're on Twitter at Ital American. And we are on Facebook at Italian American Podcast. 
Grazie mille!